Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. The other, the other real quick announcement is our, our summer missions focus as a church. Um, my father-in-law was here talking about it a few weeks back. Uh, he runs a missions organization, and they were working in Nepal uh, with a, a, a trafficking rescue operation where they, tra- they rescue girls who are either in trafficking or in high danger of being trafficked, and they put them through a, kind of an education and employment program so that they won't have to go back into anyway. Uh, long story short, I want to thank you for your giving because we were able to send them a check for that project for $10,000 this week. So thank you so much for your giving. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. Way back when we started this church, uh, I read a book that's been very influential on this church. It was called The Irresistible Church. And I've talked about this before. It's not about having a church that is irresistible to other people. It's about having a church that is irresistible to the blessing of God. So uh, we talk about the things that are important to God. So we said from day one that missions and outreach is going to be the DNA of this church. And uh, we've always said that we're going to give back to missions and outreach at least 10% that comes in. Uh, and this year, because of your giving, we've been able to push that closer to 20 or 25% that we're sending back out the door. So um, two years ago, we gave $20,000 uh, for the year to missions and outreach. That was the most we've ever given as a church. Uh, this year, it's not the end of August yet, and we've given more than $30,000 this year towards missions and outreach. So thank you so much uh, for your giving to the church, and it enables us to do that. So. We kind of updated the map some yesterday. It finally has all the dots on it. That's anywhere that we've supported missions uh, throughout the world, anywhere that we've supported the gospel being sent throughout the world. So with that said, I'm excited for the message today. We're going to jump back into the series on the minor prophets. Uh, The first week of this series, we looked at Hosea. Uh, Hosea's life was an image of God's faithfulness, even in the light of unfaithfulness. So he actually, God called him to marry a woman with certain knowledge that she would be unfaithful to him and to love her anyway. And God said, this is what I do with my people. I know that they'll be unfaithful to me, but I love them anyway. I'm faithful to them anyway. And then last week, uh, we talked about Jonah. So Jonah, I said, is one of the most relatable prophets to me because Jonah, uh, we could see, wrestled with God if it was something he didn't want to do. He had that flesh side that said, uh, I don't necessarily want to do this, so he wrestled him. Today, we're going to move on to Habakkuk. Uh, Now, I call him Habakkuk. Some people call him Habakkuk. Uh, Emily calls him Habakkuk, and actually, I looked it up. Uh, and it's actually pronounced either way, so, um, but I'm more right than she is. So if you're taking notes, write that down. So, uh, but like Hosea and like Jonah, Habakkuk is a unique book in the prophets, in the minor prophets, for its own reason, where the other books of the prophets focus on God's word speaking, uh, speaking to the nations through the prophet. The book of Habakkuk is really Habakkuk speaking to God on behalf of the nation. And what I appreciate about Habakkuk is just like Jonah, he really wrestles with God on some things. Uh, And in fact, he's kind of a reminder that God's not afraid of your questions. Uh, So where Jonah wrestled with, with following God's command, Habakkuk wrestled with trusting in God's plan and trusting in his timing and even to a degree in God's sovereignty. So 
uh, real quickly, in terms of historical context of the book of Habakkuk, it's, uh, his ministry is estimated to have taken place around 600 B.C., and it was to the southern kingdom of Israel. It was the kingdom of Judah. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, we know historically and because of the Bible, Judah's spiritual state in this time, and it was really bad. Uh, and understanding the spiritual state of the nation is really pivotal for understanding the book of uh, Habakkuk. Uh, and we're going to get into more details on that. The second thing that, that is important here uh, is knowing that just a few years uh, after he writes this book, the nation of Israel and Judah would be destroyed and taken captive by the, the Babylonians. So again, just to, to reiterate, Judah's spiritual apostasy and the impending invasion of the Babylonians are a central role in the book of Habakkuk. Now, I'm going to say this before we really dive in. Uh, I think most of you who know me well enough, uh, I hope, would say that I am not a doom and gloom preacher by any means, but I'm also not going to pull any punches. Uh, I believe that my responsibility is to share with, with you what I see in the Word of God. Uh, and today I'm going to tell you what I see in the book of Habakkuk, because what I see uh, is America littered all over the pages of Habakkuk. Now, for full disclosure, there is so much evil in the world today that you could probably say that about any nation, but that doesn't make it any less true of America. Uh, so with all of that being said, we're going to dive right into Habakkuk, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the prophecy or the burden that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, it's a word that means cruelty or oppression or injustice, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, a word that means the law is numb and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now remember, Habakkuk is speaking these words on behalf of the, the nation of Judah, referring to the nation of Judah. We're talking here about God's chosen people, his chosen nation, and he says, there is so much evil, and there's so much sin, and there's so much injustice, and there's so much violence, that the word of God itself actually appears to be ineffective and irrelevant and the nation is just numb to it. The very word of God has become paralyzed. And if we put verse 3 back on the screen, uh, he says, Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Uh, what we see here in this single question is really the primary theme uh, of the book of Habakkuk. God, where are you and why aren't you doing anything in the midst of all of this injustice? So the, the movie Sound of Freedom, it, it was in uh, theaters recently. I, I couldn't tell you if it's still in theaters. But it, it's an incredible film that shines light on this, this rampant issue of child exploitation and child trafficking in the U.S. and around the world. So around the world, uh, child trafficking is a $150 billion industry every year. And the United States is one of the most active consumers of this industry in the entire world. 
Uh, tens of thousands of children in the United States are trafficked every year, and conservative estimates say around 50 children are taken every day and sold into trafficking. Now, I, I highly recommend this movie. It's a powerful movie. It's an eye-opening movie. But I've also heard many people have come away from this movie with their faith challenged because they come away asking, God, where are you? How can you sit back and allow this to happen? And what's happening is we are echoing the words of Habakkuk. How can you remain silent, God, and allow so much evil and wrongdoing to take place in the world? This is Habakkuk. He's looking around at a nation that is supposed to be the light of the world. But there is so much evil and wickedness. And he's saying, God, how can you sit idly by and just watch this take place? Where are you? And then, then God responds in verse 5. God responds and says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days, in your lifetime, that you would not believe even if you were told. God says, oh, I'm at work. I am doing something, and it would blow your mind. Now, I imagine, this is just me, but I imagine Habakkuk in this moment being kind of excited. God is on the move. God is not just ignoring our cries. After all, there's a revival coming like I wouldn't believe. There's a move of God coming like I can't even fathom. But then what happens is God finishes the statement. So begin, uh, again, beginning in verse 5, he says, Look at the nations and watch, be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. And he goes on to specify that he is preparing the Babylonian nation as a vessel of judgment against the nation of Judah. And this was not the response that Habakkuk was looking for. The Babylonians were, were this ruthless, evil nation, and God says, I'm going to take this horrible, wicked people, and they're going to be a vessel of my judgment. It's a prophecy that we know uh, historically was fulfilled to a T in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians invaded. Now, uh, in case this seems harsh, uh, I want to make sure we recognize just the state of Judah's apostasy uh, in this time. Uh, they were constantly engaging in evil practices. They, they were worshiping false gods and man-made idols, and, and God had been sending warnings about this, all of this sin for generations, and they weren't interested. It's not that they weren't aware of their sin. It's that they were not receptive to correction. Uh, so Isaiah, the prophet, records the people's response on one occasion, and it really gives us a pretty good image of their hearts. So this is Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 9. It says, these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instructions. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right, but tell us pleasant things. This is the hearts of the people. Tell us uh, prophecies of illusions. Just tell us what we want to hear. Uh, our oldest son, uh, J.R., he, he really struggles uh, with admitting when he's wrong. Uh, he gets that from his mother. Uh, but <laughs> don't tell her I said that because I'm going to see if she listens to the podcast when she's back working with kids. So if I mysteriously don't show up next week, it means she watched the podcast. So 
uh, I think it was last week or the week before, we were eating dinner, and I said, JR, do you want more green beans? And he said, yeah. So I, I started putting more green beans on his plate, and he said, what are you doing? I said, you said you wanted more green beans. He said, no, I didn't. I said, I just asked you if you wanted more green beans, and you said, yeah. He said, no, I didn't. So Emily chimes in. She says, JR, we all heard it. You said you wanted green beans. And then Davey says, you said you wanted green beans. And he says, no, I didn't. I, I said, JR, if Daddy heard you say it, and Mama heard you say it, and Davey heard you say it, is it possible that JR is wrong? And of course it's not, but uh, the next day I come downstairs and he's doing his schoolwork. He's, he's writing the letter N in cursive, but he's doing too many humps. He's writing the letter M. So I said, uh, JR, you're doing a good job. You just put one too many humps in there. That's the letter M. He said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. You, you got too many humps. He said, this is how grandma taught me to do it, and mama said it's fine. I said, JR, that's not how you do it. He said, daddy, if grandma said it's fine, and if mama said it's fine, and if I'm saying this, this is how you do it, is it possible that you are wrong? <laughs> I said, it is not. I know my alphabet. <laughs> Eight years old, and this is what I deal with, church. But this is sort of what's taking place in Habakkuk. There is not just one person here and there sporadically telling Judah that, that the way they're living is wrong. God has been sending prophet after prophet for generations calling on them to repent, and they don't want to hear it. So one specific example of this I wanted to share because it's from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a contemporary of Habakkuk. What that means is their lives overlapped, their ministries overlapped. So this is Jeremiah's message to the same people in the same time frame as Habakkuk. It's in Jeremiah chapter 19 beginning in verse 3. Jeremiah says, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to the gods uh, that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. What does that mean? They have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. Well, the next verse tells us actually what he's referring to there. In verse 5, he says, They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention. He goes on the next verse to say, They're going to call this place the valley of slaughter when I'm done with it. He says, What's going on here is they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. And in the days of Habakkuk, one of the most prevalent sins that led to the judgment of God on a nation was child sacrifice. Now, the Bible says that they sacrificed these children to Baal. Baal was a Canaanite god. He, it was a common god in the days of Moses and Joshua. But by this time, the usage of the term Baal wasn't necessarily referring to a specific god. It was actually just the general term for, term for any false god. And literally, it just meant master. This was their new master. In, in America... We may not sacrifice gods to a or, or children to a specific false god, but we have different masters that we're sacrificing them to in America. Uh, we sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience, of selfishness, uh, of sexual promiscuity. And I'm going to go ahead and back that up because I know the number one thing that, that we hear in response to that is, no, it's health care. 
They say, what about cases of rape or incest or, or, or your life's in danger? Uh, the state of Florida is one of the only places that requires every person who gets an abortion to say why they get an abortion. They record every abortion and they ask why. You have to say why. So in 2021, the state of Florida alone performed about 80,000 abortions. That's about nine abortions every minute. Uh, they ask these questions, you know, is it rape or is it for health reasons? Is, is your life in danger? And what was recorded was approximately three-tenths of a percent said it was health-related. In fact, the number one reason given for the murder of innocent babies was social and economic reasons. Uh, they've done surveys on people coming out of abortion clinics, and the reasons they give for their ab abortion is, I'm not ready for a child, I can't afford a baby, I don't want to be a single mother, I'm done having children. Uh, or another very popular one is, it would interfere with my education or my career. So, so child sacrifice is nothing new. We find it all the way back in the days of Habakkuk and long before that, it's just in America we have different gods, different masters that we sacrifice them to. And while this is nothing new, church, while it's nothing new, it has always been evil in the eyes of God. And can I tell you something? It has always been a precursor to national judgment. Always. Because when a nation accepts this as normal, and when a nation says, for you to oppose it, you are evil, these actions require God to respond. And I want you to hear that I'm not saying our nation is nearing judgment in a prophetic way. I'm saying it in a logical way. When you read scripture, this is what follows these actions. God is not silent in the face of evil. God is patient, but God is not silent, and he will respond when a nation continually practices evil. So if we go back to Habakkuk, this is something that he really struggled with because the people of Judah were engaged in, uh, among other things, this child sacrifice and worship of false gods. And he says, God, where are you in all of this? How can you remain silent in all this? And what God responds is he says, I'm not inactive here. I'm patient, but I'm not silent. He says, the nation of Judah will come under judgment at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, as I said, this was not the response that Habakkuk was looking for, and that's for two reasons. First of all, he did not anticipate that the entire nation would come under judgment. He didn't anticipate that that was the solution. He was hoping for revival, not judgment. And, and I'm going to say on that note that the two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, biblical and, uh, nas biblically, national revival often accompanies seasons of national judgment. I'm going to save that for another day. The second thing uh, that, that this really got in Habakkuk's head was um, he didn't understand how God could possibly use the Babylonians because they were even more evil than Judah. Uh, we see this immediately in Habakkuk's reply in verse 12. He says, uh, Lord, are you, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment, you, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? And then he asks this, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? He can't understand how God will judge the nation of Judah using a more evil nation than Judah itself. 
Now, what we find is he's, he, he's not complaining. It's a legitimate question. If we continue to Habakkuk 2.1, uh, Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and, my, and station myself on, on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he says to me and, and what answer I am to give this complaint. In other words, he's not just saying this. He's waiting for an answer. And he knows that when he gives this, th these prophetic words, he's going to have to give an answer. You know, it's, it's the same question that they'll ask. How can God use the Babylonians? So God re responds again in verse 2. It says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. See, the enemy has popped up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or the righteous will live by faith is what some translations say. Now, this is the, the most quoted passage out of the book of Habakkuk. It's quoted three times in the New Testament, and, and it's interesting because uh, every time it's quoted, it's quoted in a different context. So Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17, the righteous will live by faith, and it's in the context that righteousness comes by faith in Christ alone. That's our righteousness. It's through faith alone. Uh, it's uh, what it means to be justified. He, he quotes it again in Galatians 3.11, this time telling those who have been justified in Christ how they ought to live. Since we've been justified in Christ, we now live by faith. And then the third time it's quoted is in Hebrews, and this time it's in the context of perseverance. Uh, it's in the context of living by faith in the midst of extreme circumstances. And this is the same context that's used in Habakkuk, that even when you are surrounded by evil, even when you are soon experiencing uh, this season of national judgment, you still live by faith. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize the rest of chapter 2. There are only three chapters. Um, after Habakkuk complains, uh, how can you use a nation more evil than us to judge us? God replies to him and he says, I see their evil too and they will be judged in my timing. And he goes on and he goes into the specifics of the evil he sees in Babylon. He lists off uh, five woes is what we call them uh, towards the Babylonian people. And he says, judgment will come on them just as it's coming on Judah, but in my timing. And then after the fifth woe, he assures Habakkuk that he's still in his temple and he's still on control. So that fifth woe is at the end of Habakkuk 2 and verse 19. It says, woe to him, to Babylon, who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered? Uh, it's covered with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it. And then he says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm still here, and I'm still in charge, and I'm still sovereign. And even in these seasons, when you perceive me to be silent in the face of evil, I'm in control. I'm not inactive. I'm only patient. So uh, Habakkuk, uh, he finally recognizes, you can come, Renee. Um, he finally recognizes this, that, that God is still sovereign, that God sees everything in every nation, that God is really at work even when we don't see it. So when we go into Habakkuk 3, he goes into a song of praise. And this song ends with one of the most faith-filled passages in all of Scripture. It's Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. 
He says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He's talking about the judgment here. Yet I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come to the nation invading us. In other words, I will wait patiently because I know you see them too. I know you'll deliver us out of judgment. I know the other evil nations will go into judgment. And then he says this in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. In this society, he's just basically said, if I have nothing, uh, this is a, a, an agrarian society that depends on these things. And he says, take them all away and I will still rejoice and worship you and follow you. And this is the image of the righteous living by faith. Though I have nothing, still I will follow. So church, what, what is our place in all of this? Do, do we pray for the judgment of God? That's not our call. Our call is to pray for salvation and to pray for redemption. And as Jesus commanded us to pray that the kingdom of God would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And if God chooses for that to come through judgment, we follow. We rejoice in our God. If God judges our nation, and because we're in this nation, we lose everything, we rejoice in our God. And what we need to be doing in this time is praying that God will, will take a valley of dry bones and bring it back to life, but also strengthening our faith seeking to know God so that if that day comes, if that day of trouble comes, we have the faith, we have the roots, we are grounded enough to say, we still have a good God. We still have a, a God worthy of rejoicing in. Can you stand with me, church? lessons of scripture is, is you, you don't wait for days of trouble to try to build your faith, to try to grow roots. Was it J.J. Jasper? Lost his son. The radio host J.J. Jasper was um, riding, uh, what, what was it? Go-karts go with his son. son flipped the go-kart and, and it wasn't a bad wreck and he went over to his son and his son had broken his neck and he held his son in his arms while he died and then he, he called his, his wife to break the news that his, their, their child just died and he said to her before he said anything I need you to take hold of every good thing you know to be true about God it wasn't we're going into a hard season. Let's start digging some roots. He said, everything that we've been rooting ourselves in all of this time, we have to take hold of for the storm that's coming.
pursuing God today. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Father, I pray that that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that we would be a, a light in this culture. pray this morning that you don't give up on our nation, that you would send revival to our nation. pray for, go ahead and do that. If there's nothing, pray for our nation. Pray for our schools that are opening back up this week because that's where it's starting and that's where the enemy is targeting. Amen? Take a few moments. What I do pray is we leave this place that Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.